BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Workers Union. And they're starting branches in all major cities in Turkey. I like to see. I like to see the labor movement, you know, progress, move forward. Hey, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, everybody's talking, you know, the whole women bit these days is a very, very, you know, it's, it's relevant, right? Relevant to our time. And uh, for those of you who are uh, into women's lib. And uh, you know, are involved in the whole uh, the whole movement. Uh, you should know what's going on in Port Moresby. Just a little news note. You won't hear this on the Walter Cronkite News. This kind of stuff. This is where you you got to come to these places to get. You know, you got to come right down here to get the real stuff. In Port Moresby, Port Moresby, rather. You know where that is? It's out in the Pacific. You know, Port Moresby. This is the way women are treated out there. <laughs> wow. The latest official quotations on the Papua New Guinea bride market have been revealed. You know, they have a regular, a government report released. This is official. Uh, yesterday said that a woman marrying for the first time in the remote Jimi Valley in Papua is worth no more than $240. <laughs> 
that, don't you, George? All right, go ahead. You can bring it up. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. That was very good. Thank you. You know, speaking of women's uh, news here, since uh, we're bringing all these uh, these bad things to light here, uh, very interesting little note uh, coming out of, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the whole equal pay thing, you know, that, that uh, everybody's after, and rightfully so. However, it has, uh, has another side to it, the equal pay thing. Uh, they had a big, uh, very official investigation in England uh, recently. You know, the labor government and all that was working on it. And the question was, what does a woman do when she gets equal pay with a man? I mean, what does she actually do with this money? Well, and here's what they found. Quite often, she goes out and gets equally drunk. <laughs> According to a Liverpool expert, the finding came in the book council. Uh, published by Dr. W.H. Kenyon, Executive Director of the Merseyside Council on Alcoholism. Dr. Kenyon said equal pay and opportunity for women was linked closely with the equal risk of becoming one of the half million alcoholics in England. And we quote here, <clears throat> Emancipation of the female together with the government. Talk about cuckoo birds. I mean, uh, when in doubt, par always rolls a lion film. You know, when in doubt, go to lions. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I I just suggested Earl Earl walked in the studio. I just suggested Earl that if I got myself on these big talk shows at night, you know, how would they like it if I showed my home movies of me playing with my guinea pig? You know. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm a guinea pig cuckoo. Oh yeah. Terrible. You know. Shepherd whipping the guinea pig and Shepherd feeding it a carrot. You know, and and uh, you know making the guinea pig jump through paper hoops that are on fire and all that stuff. Oh yeah. The time I got bit by the guinea pig. Oh, I've got a great film of it. Oh. Well, actually, Earl, it wasn't a guinea pig that got me. Seriously, I, I got a I got a mean shot from a gerbil. Oh, they're mean. I, yeah. You got bitten by two gerbils? Twice, huh? <laughs> you got two gerbils? Well, do they ever bite you, George? Hamster? I, well, I've never had a hamster bite, but I'll tell you, I had a gerbil one time give me a shot. And, uh, you know, I was told that this gerbil was a friendly gerbil, see? And I, I, I went over there, and I says, oh, hi, you know, and his name was Alfie. You know, I says, hello, Al. And I poked at the thing. I says, hello, Al. Hello. And he comes up to the cage. No, he didn't do that. He, uh, they're, they're quicker than that. Uh, the gerbil comes walking over, and I'll tell you, it happened so fast that it would, uh, a canary, oh, canary bites can be, oh. I've known several people have died from canary bites. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, oh, yes. I saw a little news note the other day in the Times. A guy died of a bird kick. And, uh, yes, kicked right in the gut with an ostrich. And uh, <laughs> headed to the ball game right there. So you can't you can't mess around with animals. And I, I don't know, uh, par with these uh, these lions, you know. I remember the days when he used to have people on his show. Do you remember? The guys like Alex King and all those great people. Oh, and what's worse, they're filmed lions. If they... You know, I don't mind if he sits around on a panel with eight or, or nine live tigers and lions, you know. I mean, live, right there, you know. You may see some action, you know, who knows. But, uh, never, oh, uh, here, uh, excuse me, uh, George, would you prepare, uh... Because we also provide new car financing. Well, I imagine, uh, John Dillinger went and financed his Hudson Terraplanes, you know, that he used for getaways. 
down at the local bank, you know, 6% loan. It says, we also provide... We, you would have found that our officers like to say yes. And you could have taken up to 36 months to pay at our new low bank interest rate. You could also have stopped long enough to discover that we compound our interest on savings accounts. Yes, you could also have opened a free checking account while you were there. A checking account with no minimum balance requirements. Yes, had you two fellows bothered to explore all of the alternatives, you would have found that we could have helped you in a much more pleasant and certainly a safer manner. Part of our vast, all-encompassing public service programming on this station, once again we salute the advancing American scene. This is W.R. New York. We cleared the... We cleared the decks there. Had to salute that. I just couldn't let that one go. <laughs> yeah. There. Kind of nice. I like the way that girl's looking at that... That uh, Detective 38 special there. He's putting her right in between the eyes. Well, well. <laughs> The night is gentle here in northern Georgia. In a small house surrounded by the Blue Ridge Mountains, 85-year-old Granny Shook is wrapping wild broom sedge into bundles, making hearth brooms. Nearby, in a house on Popcorn Creek, Jude Thompson is finishing a corncob pipe. Today he made 30 of them. And miles away, Mrs. Sarah Gibbs is sewing the last few pieces on a wedding ring quilt. This of volunteers have helped bring these mountain craftsmen together to form a local co-op where they can make a better living with crafts that have been theirs for generations. Vista, with its domestic volunteers and the Peace Corps, serving in developing countries, together with thousands of retired men and women, giving of their time and talents, are all part of action. To learn how you may become a volunteer, write Action. Washington, D.C., 20525. Hey, you know, hey, did you like that march? Did, you, did I just play? Did you like that? George, would you look on that same disc there, and you will find on that disc uh, a, a piece of music that I've really, really mastered. I want to tell you this. El Capitan. You got it there? El Capitan. Hey, you know, not only... It, you know, that brings up an idea, though, uh, hearing this uh, piece here. Uh, you know, the bank that takes out the ad uh, to uh, address it to the guys that held them up. And that you should have really come in and, you know, made a loan. Uh, I think they're missing the whole point of crime. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, 
that that brings up a whole new idea, just a fantastic new uh, concept of uh, of advertising. I wonder when the day's going to come when Macy's is going to take on a major ad for all the shoplifters. And, uh, and you know, set a job in this radio station, TV and radio station. It was a combined operation. And it was right in the middle of Cincinnati. And they had uh, they had a, a offices, real good offices, you know, and all kinds of the, the accounting department. They had the, the sales department, and they had the steno pool and all. Well, on Saturdays, there was nobody there, of course, except that the radio and television station, the operating force, was on. And there was announcers and engineers and stuff. But the offices were all quiet, and nobody was there. Well, one day, <laughs> this is a Saturday, and I'm there on duty Saturday along with about five other guys. Uh, somebody came in, big truck, and uh, on the outside of the truck, it had something like uh, ABC Office Supply Company. Very official-looking truck. And these guys have got I've got coveralls, and on the coveralls it said ABC Office Supply, and on the other side it says Jerry or Fred, you know, over their, over their pocket. And these guys walk in, and uh, pretty soon one of them comes, comes into the master control, and he's got a great big, uh, looks a very official-looking book with all kinds of numbers and stuff on it. And he said, uh, anybody here can uh, tell us who's, who's supposed to be here to uh, sign for this stuff? We're, uh, we're here from ABC, and the guy says, uh, ABC what? He says, the ABC office equipment. He said, we're, we're supposed to, he says, this is the first of the month, and uh, we have an order here for the first of the month to replace all the equipment you got here with new stuff. He says, we've got to take all your old equipment. See, because all of our office, we didn't even know it at the time, but all our office equipment was leased, you know, from some big outfit that supplies office equipment. It had a little tag on the side of it and all that. He says, we're from the company here, and we're going to take all the old stuff, and we're, we're going to take this back to our warehouse, we're supposed to do it this weekend so that they'll have it for the work day Monday. And we'll bring back all the new stuff uh, as soon as we get this old stuff cleaned out. So, sure, you know, yeah, that's, it looked very official. So, he says, uh, yeah, he said, there's our tag. And sure enough, on every one of the on every one of the uh, typewriters in that was a tag that said ABC. That, By the way, that wasn't the real name of it, but uh, I'm just inventing a name. So, with that, these guys backed the truck up to the office. <laughs> And within a half, oh, they're just, you know, absolutely working just like anybody else. They're working around, unplugging the stuff. They're unplugging all the all the calculating machines and that. And they're just loading them in and packing them into this truck. They took the typewriters. They took uh, the, the mimeograph machine, the facsimile machines, and every possible piece of of uh, office gear in the place. And they, they just packed it right up to the, to the brim, the truck. Absolutely. They closed the doors. They give it to the guy that's, you know, the chief engineer or whatever he was on duty, and he signs for it, and boom, away goes the truck. Nobody's done a thing about it. I don't even have to tell you the rest, do I? I don't, <laughs> I don't have to mention to you uh, that, that, that uh, man, that, 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 that place was in an uproar Monday. You never heard such hollering. Uh, people came to work, and everything was gone. Every type of the whole bit just, just cleaned out. So they didn't know what you know what the story was. So immediately they they uh, they figured that, that maybe the company had come and got the stuff. So they called up this company. And says, "What are you talking about? We uh, we're not supposed to take that stuff out till July 10th, like nine months from now. <laughs> we have nobody over there." And uh, so immediately there was an investigation. See, they got they got the chief engineer. They called us all and they says, well, "What do these guys look like?" Well, you know, guys. They came in. You know, they had coveralls. One guy was sort of. Paul, the other guy was kind of fat. 
but the, what kind of truck did they have? Well, they had this big green truck that said ABC <laughs> on the side of it. Boy, what a job. Cleaned them out, like, like ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 worth of stuff. Well, I, I, yeah, everybody's seen scenes like that. I, I, uh, you know, everybody has his own favorite rip-off scene. But uh, one of the uh, one of the better rip-offs that I've seen, uh, with very spectacular in a curious way, was the time this radio station outside of uh, Cincinnati in a, in a it was a, one of these uh, stations that has a transmitter and everything out in the big field. You know, you've seen these transmitters down here off of uh, the Jersey Turnpike. Well, this was a station that also had its studios out there. And it was a daytimer. station came on like, uh, you know, 6.30 in the morning, went off like 7 o'clock at night. And it was a daytime station. Well, one day they came into the station. <laughs> These boys just walked in there, you know, turned the station on the air. And somebody had stole the console right out of the station. They took two turntables. They took 15 microphones and one transmitter. They took the transmitter. They did leave the antenna. They left the tower out and back. And uh, the whole thing was cleaned out. Well, well, of course, everybody was throwing their confusion because, you know, this kind of stuff you cannot take. You'll concede, George. You do not take a, 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 Gates, uh, a Gates control board and, and, a, and, a, and a Western electric transmitter. You don't take that down to the hawk shop. You can't pawn it, see? So everybody's thinking, what the hell are they going to do with it, see? What's going to happen? So, <laughs> disappeared. Well, two or three months went by, maybe six months, when all of a sudden, another radio station was hit. There was great confusion that uh, that they came in in the morning to turn on the transmitter, turn on everything, and this time, a whole rack of preamps are gone. You know, rack and panel preamplifiers, including the tape boards, the whole deck, see? Hey, kid, <laughs> this was an entirely different radio station. Well, that's, you know, that was that began to get serious. And so people were a little worried about it. And in the meantime, incidental stuff would disappear. Uh, all kinds of strange things, like like uh, Ampexes would go. Uh, station would be hit uh, right in the middle of the night, and Ampex would go. Well, this, this, this continued for roughly a year. The story I'm telling you, by the way, is a kind of legend. Uh, it, it, this story is, as a matter of fact... Uh, spoken of with great awe among broadcasters. So if you're a broadcaster, you probably know the story because it's a famous thing. It actually happened, remember. I'm not inventing a damn thing here. This is the truth. And it's a kind of a milestone case. This all happened out in Cincinnati. So within a, within a in that area, within about, oh, I would say a year and a half, there were probably 25 to 30 robberies of radio stations where uh, Ampex would disappear and all kinds of... But very heavy... Uh, highly technical and extremely specialized equipment, the kind of stuff you could no way use at home. No way you could take a, a, a Gates control board and use it at home. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, so nobody nobody could figure out what was going on. And, and, of course, the detectives and everything were watching all the ads and, and broadcasting and billboard, wherever any kind of this equipment would be advertised. It never showed up. It never surfaced. None of this stuff surfaced, which really did throw everybody. Until one day, it was about two years later, maybe a year and a half. In Kentucky, not too far from Cincinnati, there was a farmer. And this farmer would drive down this road, an old road that he drove down every couple of days on his way to, to his East 40 or someplace out there, way out in the boondocks. And he, he used to pass this old 
tin Quonset hut. There had been an old Quonset hut that had been built there years before, locked up and whatever was in it, the old farm machinery or something, abandoned, and just nobody was ever in there. It was just an old building. That was it. But he began to notice once in a while when he'd drive down there, there would be a guy walking in and out of there. Somebody would be going in there. He began to wonder about this thing. Like years he'd seen this building and nobody'd been in it. Now suddenly there's a guy in there. Or at least two or three. So he began to ask around town, you know. He comes sometimes and says, hey, what, what are they doing with that Quonset hut down there? That isn't the way he said it. I mean, if you know anything about Campbell County, Kentucky, the way he said it was, hey, who's gone there messing around that that, uh, that old Quonset hut down there? Near Luke Arkin's place, huh? Well, somebody somebody said, uh, nobody's down there. Luke, Luke uh, <laughs> Luke's doing nothing with this. At which point, three or four of the guys got together and they went down this road and they parked in the trees down there with a pair of binoculars. And they watched this building. And they noticed that absolutely for sure that guys were coming and going. Three guys would come in and three guys, you know, would leave. And so the farmer the farmer gets in touch with Luke and he says, Luke, he said, you know, there's somebody messing around down there in the building down there. Here's that old building you got that... That old uh, Quonset hut you got down there, somebody's in there. At which point, Luke and his boys go down there, and they open it up. And they could not believe what they saw. The Quonset hut had been completely built inside with, with insulating material, glass. These guys had built a complete radio station in the Quonset hut. Now, wait, you haven't heard the rest of the story, though. You would automatically think, well, what they were going to do is they were going to apply for a license and go on the air. No way. You know what these guys were doing? These were three guys. It's fantastic. They, 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 these people broke in, and they, of course, called the police and everything else, and so they, would, they laid a trap on They wanted to figure out what they're doing. So late that night, these three guys showed up, and they watched them. And you wouldn't believe what they did. It was like right out of a Tennessee Williams play or a strange drama that this is what showbiz will do to, these, to, to people. That these three guys for years had been knocking around trying to make it in radio. And none of them had ever even got a foot in the door. No way. And so every night these three guys would come down and play radio. Believe it or not. They actually would do shows. The guy had turntables. Uh, they had they had uh, even news equipment in there. The guys even had had uh, teletypes and stuff. And these guys had a complete stolen ersatz radio. So everything except an antenna. They could have actually put it on the air had they had they gotten an antenna and done it. Of course, then they would have been caught immediately had they gone on the air. But these guys would come down there and do shows. And they nabbed the three of them a strange thing. I knew one of them. That's how I happened to... Uh, I knew one of them, and this guy had no idea this guy was doing this kind of stuff. He was a guy that used to come down and had gotten himself a little job, by the way, something like uh, you know, guys that work around here. He'd gotten himself a little job on the weekend uh, you know, doing the log or something for the radio station. Everybody thought he was a uh, you know, very straight, legit guy. At night, he's down there playing star. Series of Strange events. Well, 
Of course, these uh, it, it hit the fan. This was like, uh, you know, $100,000. This is grand larceny. You don't give guys, you know, that have robbed places for a hundred grand, especially federally licensed radio stations. You don't, you know, give them a six weeks uh, suspended sentence. <laughs> I mean, because obviously they have been doing this over a period of like two years. Well, the guy, the guy, uh, they got. I think they got uh, one guy got. I think two years in in the federal pen. It's a federal offense, you know. One guy got two years in the federal pen. The other two guys, I think, even got more. Well. Time went on. These guys are now in the slam. You got it? Time went on. Would you believe it? I am now working in Philadelphia. Strange scene. I get a, I get a letter, a, a special delivery letter, from a radio station in Kansas someplace. Some little station way out, Abilene, Kansas. And in the letter, I opened it. I said, what are they writing me for? I opened this thing up, and it's the manager of the radio station... Telling me that a guy has given my name as a as a reference, and he's he wants to work in this radio station. And who is it? It's one of those three. Now, what do you write back? What do you say? Now, there's a moral dilemma. You write back and say, "Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's absolutely straight. He's a, yeah, he's one of the greatest guys I've ever known." Or do you just ignore it? What do you do? Now, of course, your first impression, you know, the first idea you'd have would be to say, oh, you know, give the guy a chance, you know, right out there and say, but can you imagine what would happen if I'd written that letter out there and said he's great, and five days later the transmitter disappears? <laughs> along with along with the new weekend staff announcer? <laughs> now, how's that for a rip-off? You ever heard one that, that elaborate? That was a fantastic scene, and... and and if you ever wrote a play, and I'll tell you this as a writer, uh, if you ever wrote a play where where three guys have built a radio station out of stolen equipment, that would be dismissed locally as another example of, uh, of uh, you know, fantasy, comedy, black humor. You know, come on, this is a, you know, a surrealistic play. And yet those guys had spent probably six or seven months every night in this shack playing radio. And nobody who they were involved with, two of them were married, by the way, nobody they were involved with had any idea where they were going at night. <laughs> Talk about a fantasy scene, man. Well, I'll tell you that I, I, I one time had, speaking of ripoffs, let me tell you one more ripoff, a fantastic ripoff. Uh, talk, uh, this was the most creative ripoff I've ever seen that I was ever involved in. Truly creative ripoff. I was in... Uh, Earl, I was, you remember, I was in New Faces. We're talking about a ripoff. I was in a Broadway play, a Broadway show, right? And, and, and one of the scenes in the show uh, involved a, a, a situation where I was sitting with another character. And the two of us, where, where the big scene was, the two of us were sitting, we, uh, one was sitting at a desk, and I came in to the scene and sat at the desk with her. And it was, a, it was a, like a two-minute scene. And the the whole the whole scene was built around the fact that this girl was typing. She had a she had a typewriter. It was, a, it was supposed to be a big electric typewriter, and she was typing stuff as I was talking. She was supposed to be so you know on top of it that she could talk on the phone and uh, and talk to me at the same time. And all the while she's typing letters. See, so <laughs> that night that night the play the curtain goes up, 
and, and uh, everything is set. We check our props. Everything's cool. This, to this day, I don't know how this happened. Everything's cool. The play progresses about 15 minutes, this uh, production. When our cue came on, the curtain goes up. She, she, of course, sits down in the dark. The curtain goes up, and I walk out, and the typewriter has been ripped off. Somebody stole the typewriter right off the stage. Right in the middle of the production, because it was there in the beginning. <laughs> now, you figure that one, man. And I had I had another one happen to me, though, that, uh, you know, that was, to, to me, that's, that's a real rip-off. But nobody ever found out where it was. Uh, the prop man was blowing his gasket, you know, because uh, he got blamed for it. And, and uh, we wound up, you know, all big hassle. But one other one that I that I had happen to me, I don't know how I got on the subject, but... But uh, I, I was doing the cut-ins on a, a network television show. Uh, cut-ins. This was a network show, a, a summer television show that was sponsored by Nabisco, as a matter of fact. And it was a TV show, big network, one-hour show. And they had three cut-ins in each half-hour section of the show. Now, what the cut-in was, that they came on the screen with, uh, with visuals. Uh, these visuals were like uh, slides and stuff and uh, various... Yes, I see, Jerry. Slides and stuff. And I would talk over the... the uh, in the booth when the queue came, I would do the commercial for Nabisco. Well, I'm, I'm, I did the first three spots. By the way, it's a live show. There were like 250 people in the audience or better, maybe maybe closer to 1,000. Pa- the packed theater. And this was a glass booth that was up and above the stage and I could look down and see the audience and off to my right I could also see the TV uh, the, the stage where the show was being done and it was a live show so I did the first three cut-ins it was very hot in this booth and I made the, I made the network break you know this is NBC and I walked out of the, out of the booth which was standard I walked around the booth a bit and I had about four minutes to go before this this big cut-in this their, their big commercial came 10 minutes before the end of the show. Well, at, at 7 or 8 minutes beforehand, I, I, I've got my copy scene. I'm looking at the copy. And I walk into the booth. The booth was dark. It was, it was, it was purposely dark so that the people couldn't watch what I was doing and distract from the show. It was dark. And I had a desk lamp, a little tiny lamp that I could read my copy with. And, and I, so I walk into the, into the studio and I sit down and I look at the copy. And I put on my earphones, which was connected to the control booth, the control room, where the director was calling the shot. So I hear the director in there, and I had a talkback, a little talkback switch. In fact, it was, it was a, one of these headsets. There's a little microphone that swings down from a little boom mic, see? So he says to me, he says, Shep, you ready to go? And I said, yep, I'm ready. In the booth. He said, okay. He says, you're, gonna, he says, uh, you're going in exactly 47 seconds. And so I look up at the big clock with lit in there, and I see it, you know, it's coming. He starts counting down. He says, uh, uh, 15 seconds, start rolling film. And uh, see, I was doing the narration over a film. He says, uh, 15 seconds, real film is rolling. And I see it come on the monitor. He says, five seconds, four seconds, three seconds. You ready, Chef? Go. So I start reading the copy. And I see the, the commercial on the screen, and I'm reading the copy away in there. And I hear his voice again come into the, into the headset. And he says, where's Chef? Where are you? Where's Shep? 
And I said, uh, I hit the button on my on my earphone, my headset, and I says, I'm in here. He says, well, go, go. I said, what do you think I'm doing? So at that point, I go back and I start reading the copy again. And I can hear pandemonium in the control room. They are shouting and yelling and hollering. And, and uh, people, kept, uh, people kept hollering, what's the matter with the booth? Hey, signal the booth. Where's, 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 the, where's the talk over? Where's, hey, Shepard, where are you? Well, I don't know what's going on, of course. And all the while, this is going on the full NBC television network. The full network. This is like 400 stations. And it's a, a main, major account. This is a NBC, and this was National Biscuit Company, as a matter of fact. And the, the, uh, the particular product they were, we were doing was uh, rich crackers. These, these rich crackers. So I'm working away, and I can see the stuff on the screen, but there's no voice coming out. I, and so I figure, well, maybe maybe I, I better project more. So I start projecting. And at that point, I hear the director say, forget it, we blew it, we blew it. He says, we blew the commercial, we blew it. He says, go back to live on stage. He says, cue Chuck. And at that point, the, the, the live show comes back on, and, and instantly the director is on the intercom. He says, where the hell are you, Shepard? And I hit the button. I says, what do you mean, where am I? I've been in this booth all the time, and I've been reading the copy. He says, well, we haven't been getting it up here. I says, come on. Come on down and see. They thought, they thought I, I booted it, see. With that, the AD, the assistant director, comes running around, and, of course, there I am. I'm sitting in the, in the booth. And we threw on the light. He threw on the light to see what the hell's going on. Somebody had stolen the microphone right out of the major network television studio in the middle of a show. And since it was dark, see, and the mic hung down, the mic was out of the range of the light. That's why I never really saw that it wasn't there. Because the mic had always been there. It was a hanging mic from a boom, you see. And it had always been there, and I'd used it many times, and it just was part of the scenery, you know? It's like if you walk in your house, you expect the light switch to be on the wall. You don't expect it to disappear overnight. Well... It was gone. Well, I, the teletype started to go. I mean, the teletype, the ticker tape back and forth from New York all over the country. What happened to the damn commercial? Who booted the commercial? It's ticking back and forth. And I remember the, the, the director sitting down and sending the following telegram. Commercial missed due to microphone stolen between third and fourth network cut-in. And he set it off, see? He said, all I could tell him. He said, I had to tell him what happened, see? So he sent it off. About five minutes later, this wire comes back. He says, you're out of your mind. Are you drinking or what? Tell us the truth. They refused to believe it, that somebody had stolen the microphone right out of the studio. I don't know who did it. It had to take somebody who knew something about technique. You had to know something about the technical end of this baby. You don't just, you know, no no fan could just walk in there and rip that baby off. First of all, he couldn't get in there. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, now, now you're starting me. I'm, I'm not even going to bother to tell you about the time that I worked in a television station where right out of a studio, our only color camera was stolen. Complete with, with the truck and everything that it worked on. And with about, uh, you know, 75 feet of this color coax cable, which comes at about $100 a foot. Stole it right out. Right out of the studio. And we were so proud of it. We just got it two weeks before. <laughs> just had our call letters put on the side, you know. Gone. 
So you think you've been ripped off. Listen. I know a guy who had who had everything taken out of his refrigerator one night. Nothing else. Nothing else touched in the house. This was in the village. Somebody came in and just took his milk and his old lettuce. They took his can of Blatt's beer he had in there. His MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.